Hello and welcome to the Two Trees Podcast, episode three. We're here to talk about angels, demons, ghosts, the pagan gods, and the weird corners of the Bible. We're here to talk about the beliefs of the ancient world, the way they talked about the supernatural world, all to help you understand the people of the Bible, to be able to engage on a deeper level with the text of Scripture. We're here to help you get over being bored with your Bible, how to see the patterns and literary designs of the ancient authors as they were led by the Holy Spirit to write the Bible. But most important of all, we are here to show you Jesus as Deuteronomy 10, 17 describes him. The Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, mighty and awesome. So I'm hoping, are you all ready? Ready to go? Let's go. Yes, sir. Martin's busily eating a cookie. Are you, just let me know when you've got enough cookie to get a podcast. Well, in. we'll never get this recorded if well, I've had enough No, cookies. there are more cookies. Forever. I didn't even get a cookie. You guys ate all but like half of them. I'll leave you a bite. So I, I heard, Martin, you're preaching Sunday. Is that true? That's correct. What are you preaching about? You'll just have to come and find out. That would be awkward for my church oh, yeah. on account of the pastor not being there. Uh, it's a little bit about uh, what we talk about here, a little bit about what I talked about at your church when I uh, preached there a couple months ago. Was uh, it on the Abrahamic Covenant? Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's mm. kind of what we're based upon, but more or less, how do you get your own covenant with Oh, God? so you're just making stuff up at this point. Well... Yeah, he could yeah, do that. Give or take. Give or take. I'm not an actual. When you're pastor, a guest speaker, right? you can do a lot of stuff. You say anything you like. Top ten reasons why Green Bay. If you want to be a really good guest speaker, you gotta say, "Hey, what what's something you wish you could say and you can't?" And I'll I'll come and bring it. You know, yeah, and make it make basically a, the substitute teacher, right? Like, right. Yeah. Just make a mess. What does then... the pastor not want said? <laughs> My first four points. Yeah, Nick asked if uh, I want him to be there or not, if that would make me nervous or not, and I said, "Well, I just don't know if you want to be there when I'm talking, so that's up to him." Well, I imagine he'll be there. He's proud of you. He wants to support you. Yeah. Maybe he's so proud of you, he doesn't want to come. Yeah. yeah. I think it'll be great. It'll be great. <laughs> I had well, a chance to speak over at a, um, like a college-age, I don't want to call it house church, small group, whatever you want to call it, about 20 college-age students. One of the things I thought was really, really interesting is um, one of the gentlemen who has lots and lots of questions as he was reading through Genesis and I guess he said as like his church or his pastor or his leadership, uh, he has these questions and they just don't want to answer the questions. And he he made this statement. I, I I'm just been thinking about it uh, that um, you know my generation, this is twenties, uh, uh, have lots of questions that the church doesn't seem to want to answer. And so I just I don't know. I I'm I'm gonna meet with him again next week as the, the big group and just I'd like to dig in a little deeper with him as to what time, kind of questions he's asking. You mm. know, those I mean maybe it's a he's asking really weird questions, but the ones he asked me in the Genesis stuff, they were good, reasonable questions, good thoughtful questions. Well, I but. think it's important for the church to have areas where questions are allowed. Yep. Like the Sunday morning service isn't really designed to do that. Like if everyone popped up and had a question about wherever or whatever we're doing. It's it's not really designed to do that very well. But don't you think like let's say let's say some of these guys are starting to listen to the to, to some of like Tim Mackey stuff or Michael Heiser stuff, and then they're dropping some questions that most a lot of leaders don't hear. Oh no, or know I'm how agreeing to with you. I, I think the church has got to rethink the way it engages with the text with people. Yeah. We've got to be able to answer questions and to let people know that their questions are valued. I think that's one reason that we branched out to do this. Like the three of us go to different churches. Uh, we're we're all um, you know loving on Jesus and digging into the Bible. But there's 
not always an easy. And sometimes you ask questions and people look at you like you fell off the moon. They're like, what are you talking about? And so Jacob sends them a TikTok video. That's right. Yes. I'll... <laughs> It's kind of an inside joke. I like TikTok, and uh, most of Jacob's theology, I think, he gets from TikTok. TikTok. Yeah. that's the that's the joke we like to tease him about. And if you I haven't have clicked issues. off the podcast, yeah, as of now, <laughs> now you're gone. Uh, no, it's not true, but it is the joke. But to kind of further that, you know, you mentioned we don't go to the same churches, but now is not a good time for me to mention this because I am preaching this Sunday. But I'm not a, a pastor or, or a preacher or anything like that. But I've been in that kids' shoes that you're just talking about, where it's like, I have all these questions, and my mind just works that way. When someone tells me something, my first response is a question Mm. all the time, no matter what it is. And that got me in trouble in my life from time to time, and it got me to some points where I didn't get any answers. And like what you're mentioning there, it's like, man, you don't want to out-question the answer. No, well, that's true. I think for me growing up, I was around a very King James-only version of Christianity. It was very rules-based. My, my dad's a pastor, and he's awesome. Like, I never had issues with my parents at all, but the, the people that we hung around with were exceptionally you know, conservative uh, variety of Christian, and you just didn't ask questions. And if you did, like, you were, you were off base because if you really had faith, you would just accept what the pastor said. And it wasn't that I didn't believe the pastor. I I wanted to know my Bible. I wanted to understand what was being talked about. And I, I feel like a lot of times that really fell off the back burner in favor of correct behavior in the eyes of everybody. So what's uh, what are we digging into today? Well, today's episode is going to continue our discussion into the spiritual world because part of the goal of this podcast is we want to help you read your Bible for yourself. We want you to be able to understand how the authors talked about spiritual issues because they did it differently than we would do it today. And so we talked about the reality of the spiritual world, the principalities, the powers. And I think if you ask most people about spiritual things and powers and evil, the the term Satan is going to pop up pretty quickly. And so today our episode is going to take a dark turn into topic of Satan. And uh, to do that, we're going to be in the Bible, in the book of Isaiah. The Bible does not use the scientific worldview that we're used to. It isn't always interested in describing the world scientifically. It's interested in telling you a spiritual truth. And we use the example of how the Bible talks about stars in the heavens And they'd see these bright lights in a world that they could not get to, a place they could not reach. And these things were moving across the sky. And to the ancients, movement meant life. If it's moving, it's alive. They even talk about like living water, and that's running water. And to them, they didn't know what it was. And so it became a way of talking about the other world, the spiritual world. And so if you were worshiping a god, you would describe him in terms of stars or the movement of the constellations. All around the world, regardless of culture, humans' eyes looked up to the skies. So they didn't literally think that these stars were gods, but it was just a way for them to connect with the language that here's these things that are a way, place we we don't belong high up there. That was a, It was like a symbolism? I think so. I mean, you may have had pagan cultures that didn't Literal, make that okay. distinction. But when the Bible talks about stars, I mean, I assume God knows what he made. 
but he had no problem using this imagery to describe this other world, the spiritual yeah. world. And they do it often. The Bible was filled with star language to talk about angelic beings. And even the phrase, the host of heaven or the heavenly host is, is star language. That's, that's all through the Bible. And we see it from the Old Testament on to the New Testament. And that image can also be reversed. Just like if you were worshiping a god, lowercase g, you would go up to a high place, not because you wanted to get closer to the god so he could hear you, but because you were marking off sacred space. I'm leaving behind the normal world, and I've prepared a place to meet with this being. And it doesn't have to be really high. Some high places were, weren't very tall at all. You could build a little pedestal, and that, that would work. But the imagery was to ascend into the spiritual world. If you're talking about the demonic world or you're talking about the forces of death and destruction, the Bible reverses the image. And so instead of going up, you go down. Does that make sense? Yeah, so you see Jesus going up to pray. You see most of these encounters with God are happening in a higher... Mount Transfiguration, Mount Sinai. You have these higher places. But when you're seeing going up, we're supposed to think that they're not just walking up a hill. We're supposed to have this idea that they are approaching That's right. the heavenly realm. They're the Bible the... does not give us lots of detail about things. Okay, And for instance, we don't know what Moses looked like. We don't know what color shoes he liked to wear. We don't know how many of this was going on. Or what, There's loads of things we'd like to know. What was the street address of Mary and Joseph as they were hanging out in Nazareth? The, uh, so and when, so, well, hang on. Well, okay. So when it gives us detail, like they went up somewhere or they went down into this place, you have to ask yourself, why does the author want me to know that information? Because I guarantee you, it's not just sitting there for fluff. It's not there to be like, oh, I needed you know you just to paint the picture. Because if it is painting the picture, it did a really bad job. And I don't think the Bible does a bad job. I think we're reading it poorly. We're not engaging with the narrative that's being described, the going up or the going down. For instance, Jonah. He goes down to the coast, he goes down into the boat, and then he gets ate by a giant fish, and he definitely goes down. down there. You're supposed to get the idea by the direction Jonah's life is going that this is really negative, this right. isn't positive. So I was thinking about, I don't know why we talk about like um, the high places, low places, the song Hills and Valleys, or the, the, the passage of Hills and Valleys, he's the God of the hills and the valleys, is, is that speaking more than like he's the God of mountaintops and the lower valley parts, or is that really talking about he's the God of all the space, all the powers to That's be? That's right. It's, it, there's all that in there. Yeah, the reality of a situation I, I is... I saw that before. Yeah, the, God's just as much God in a, in a pit as he is anywhere else, but the imagery is there to, to teach. When the Bible engages with that style of speech, it's, it's not making this up. This is something that was common across the ancient world. So if instead of going up onto a hill, you would go down into a cave or down into a valley. One of the most famous of them is right outside of Jerusalem, and it's a valley called Hinnom, the Valley of Gehenna. And that's where one of the Israelite kings murdered his own children and offered them up as a demonic sacrifice to these false gods. And it's negative. It's always when the Bible is pointing this out, there to highlight the idea that this is an evil that's being talked about. And so the, the question that comes to my mind, because I'm following you 100%, but 
if I were to read the Bible, it would be hard for me to pick up on that kind of trend as right. far as he's going down, he's going down, or, or he's going up, or what is important, why the Bible mentions it this way compared to the way I would want it to be mentioned. So I guess the first question that pops to mind is why is that lost on the readers of today, and especially the Western civilized readers of today, because you almost take it as like cliche, you know, like, well, mm-hmm. he went down, so that's a negative. And, and we almost read it, to me personally, I always think it's just like, well, that's just cliche. Like David beats Goliath every March Madness when a 15 seed beats a two seed or something along mm-hmm. those lines. But we don't take it for the imagery that it is. We take it for just the, well, yeah, everybody kind of understands that. Right. And I think it's a purposeful <laughs> choice for us to engage with the story as it was written and not as we want to read it. That's a purposeful choice. You have to know this is something worth looking for mm-hmm. and then go out and find it. For instance, they don't just use... I'm sorry, my phone is beeping here. Dwayne Wilson, stop texting me. Uh, shout out to Dwayne. It's uh, actually about him being mentioned in the last episode. Oh, so. is it? Well, he needs to stop <laughs> You're getting double-dipped on, yeah, Dwayne. Okay, Thank stop you. that, Dwayne. <laughs> Trying to love Jesus and serve people here. So... What are we talking about? Oh, yeah. It's not always uh, going up or down. The Bible also uses places associated with death to talk about the powers of death and destruction. So you go out into the wilderness. So when Jesus or when God leads the people of Israel around in the wilderness for 40 years, that's a power statement. He's saying, nothing touches my people. Nothing. You don't have to make sacrifices to these demons, which they got in trouble for doing. You just serve God. You don't need to be afraid of the powers of darkness that surround us. Not to say they're not real, but to say that our God is greater than anything we might face. And so long as our heart rests with him, he protects, he guides, his will be done. And how often do you read that passage as like, well, that was a punishment for them, that they had to wander around for all these times. Never until tonight have I even put it together like, no, listen— I can take you wherever I want to take you. This is God speaking. Well, and, in a way, it was it that. was a punishment. They were supposed to go into the promised land, but they wouldn't go because there were giants. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, no, we can't go. Our God's not big enough to beat these giants. And then God says, you know what? Let's go directly to, like, the worst place you can imagine. Exactly. So, But we read it as, like, well, that's their punishment. But from it's God's perspective— It's a spiritual sermon. Yeah. Yeah. And they move from place to place. God provides food and all the things that they need, and they continue to rebel, continue to, to mess this up. And, and we see this even in Jesus' story, right? Jesus goes into the wilderness, and he has an encounter with, uh, you, you remember this? With Satan. Yeah, with Satan. Yeah. What's he doing there? He's just like, you know, I vacation here. This but is a really terrible spot. That wouldn't spot, have been a surprise, so. though, like when a, when a first century reader was reading that he went no. into a wilderness. They're thinking, okay, this, this is, is not a, an unlikely meeting Yeah, this place. is a struggle between the Christian and the forces of evil. Even on into early church uh, history, you have monks and things that would go out into the wilderness. And the idea was they were combating, we would say, their own demons. The, the idea was they're engaging in something more than just physical ailment. They were engaging in a spiritual, a real spiritual struggle. Can I, can I go back just a, a second and talk about... We must only go forward, I, Jacob. I, I'm let, sorry. Do not I, turn your eyes back. First Kings 20. Again, this is just one of those like really cool um, passages and talking about hills or, or, or valleys. There's this this war against Aram and Israel, and in 1 Kings 20, 23, it says, Meanwhile, the officials of the king of Aram advised him, him their gods, talking about Israel, are gods of the hills. 
That's why they're too strong for us. But if we fight them on the plains, surely we will be stronger than they. I mean, ah, like all of a sudden, yeah. here's like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I didn't notice this before. Anyway. They're like, you know, they just don't like flat ground. Look, I grew up in West Virginia. I used to mow my grass in baseball cleats. And so, like, there's something to high ground. But, like, it's, it's difficult to get up. to be at a low place. Yeah, but <laughs> what's being talked about there isn't mowing grass. It's not about taking right. the high ground. You're getting a glimpse into the ancient world's view of the supernatural. We just don't do that. Right. So they connected the going down with evil places. You should check out Caesarea Philippi, uh, the gates of hell. Uh, Michael Heiser, again, has tons of awesome information about this and what the proclamation of Christ or Jesus as the Christ means right there at the gates of hell itself that's being described is awesome. It's Jesus at war with the darkness. And it isn't just that going down or out into the wilderness, but you could also designate satanic or demonic activity by linking it to an evil place. We would do this in our culture today. Probably the, the, easy, the easy one here is to connect something to like the Nazi party. If you set a story in Auschwitz, or if I told you this is the king of Auschwitz, well, you're expecting a very horrific person. And sometimes the Bible talks about an evil person. And then you'll notice that it doesn't fit him exactly right. It's almost as though the Bible is talking through that person to the supernatural being that stands behind hmm. that person. This happens to Pharaoh a couple of times. God is speaking to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is the representative of these fallen watchers, these gods of Egypt. Right, that he's going to judge. He's going to judge yeah. them. And the, the whole thing isn't just about Pharaoh. It's about God showing his power and humbling the yeah. proud and bringing them out. And so sometimes you'll notice that the Bible does this very elegant way of talking on two levels at the same time. It does this in a positive way sometimes, and it can do it in a negative way. You see it most often in a positive light when we're talking about messianic prophecies. In particular, David like sometimes David. Yeah. talks about himself, and then he'll say things that just don't quite fit his life. Um, Psalms 16, verse 10 is an example of this. You should go read it. And you should notice pretty quickly that it doesn't really fit David well, but it does fit Jesus really well. So which is it talking about? And the answer is both. We don't do that. We don't like that. As an American, I don't want this to get mixed with that, you know, be straightforward, you know, this is a Western, whatever you are, or however, we want things to be done our way. What's the Burger King thing, you know? Have it your way. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> the Bible's not that. And the sooner we wrap our, our minds into the story as it is written, the more you're going to get out of it. And going back to your question earlier, Martin, the more that we know what to look for, more you'll find stuff. Mm -hmm. There's also like some other ways they, they make references to the evil realm, like with animals, right? Or, or is desert oh, yeah. places also those kinds of places of death, places of like, so imagine, like owls? Yeah, we can engage with that for a second. And imagine for a minute that we all went camping. We got back from a trip to Michigan not that long ago, and we were mm -hmm. all camping outside. But if you're in the desert, in the wilderness... And there's a fire, right? We're all huddled around the fire. And out in the darkness, you hear noises. Movements. Barking of dogs. You hear movement of unseen beings, creatures of the wilderness. 
that becomes a way of talking about unseen dangers in both the physical and the spiritual that makes sense. world. Yeah, that makes sense. So it may say owl and not mean owl. It may mean both. And it's not talking about, you know, the demons look like dogs or jackals. It's a way of talking about an unseen danger. And for a people who were outside a lot more than we are, they understood this in a way that mm -hmm. we just don't. If you want to understand it, go camping by yourself out in the middle of the wilderness and you'll jump at every raccoon that's stumbling <laughs> around out there. It's Sasquatch or it's a bear or whatever. I grew up around bears. Uh, and so like I, I think I told you this before, but my grandma attacked a bear once with a <laughs> fire truck to rescue a dog. She threw this fire truck and grabbed the. This is a true story. She did, and uh, my granny. Do you was believe the, everything else we say, and not that story? Then no, we're that's doing a good. true story. That, she did. She threw it at that bear, grabbed the dog, went inside, and I thought my granny is the toughest woman in the world. That's great. Um, so, like when it's portrayed as that being out in the wilderness or the wild animals being the evil spirits, is there any physical truth to that? Uh, I always think of when my dad went out to Arizona and was meeting with some people out there. They they mentioned that past a certain point was like the wilderness, what you're talking about. And that was like where evil spirits would dwell on there. So is is there any relevance to like they're actually out there where there's not the protection or there there's a designated area for these types of things to happen? Uh, yeah, that's a big topic. Uh, I think so, Yes. Uh, and Sounds me, like episode four, maybe. Yeah, episode like 75. <laughs> maybe I can, I can have time to really put my thoughts together. That would be nice. Um, I, I want to introduce an idea. I don't, I'm not dodging your question. I'm going to get right to it. Okay. But in our culture, in, in the West, the major motive of Satan seems to be not terror, but sleep. He doesn't want humans investing heavily into the spiritual world. He'd rather you just didn't think about him at all. Mm. Our culture is fast asleep. And the idea of an enchanted world where these things exist is so outside of the most people's comfort zone that they've turned us off a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And so it wouldn't make sense for the powers of darkness to reveal themselves that way on a big scale in our culture because it would not fit what they're trying to do. It would be counterintuitive. The goal isn't to harass people. It's to fight God. That's their goal. We're a means of doing that. They hate us. Well, they hate the children of Adam. And they're fighting against God. And so you have to ask, what's the strategy? What are they doing? But in cultures that have a much closer connection to their spiritual heritage, like the Navajo Nation, we have a missionary who serves on the Navajo Reservation and... Um, your dad went out a couple of years ago. Was he there last year? Was it last no, year? No, a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago. And there is a, a large cross that's there, and the, the community will tell you, like, look, this out here is dangerous. This space is outside of where people go. And they've set it off as a dangerous place. And so in a culture where that strategy of sleep is not the, the primary strategy— but instead, I think those you listen to their stories and you, you either got to assume that they're all crazy, which they're not, or they're telling you the truth. And that just doesn't fit well with what I want them to say. I, I would listen to these things and be like, what? You're, how am I supposed to believe that? Talking to my, my missionary friend and she's going on about shape-shifting and weird stuff. And I'm like, what? 
I either have to look at them and say, you're nuts, or say, I can't believe that quite now, but I'm disturbed, mm. and I'm going to go think about this and pray about this. Is the world as comfortable as I want it to be? The longer I study my Bible, the less certain I am that I should be comfortable. Well, I think you know, going that direction is to just be reminded that there's a war. And even though we've been given the armor, I don't feel like many I hate making generalizations, but a lot of Christians just don't have to wear it because we're safe. And 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 I think yeah. it's this: we're asleep. We we just don't realize that there is a battle and that it's coming against us, coming against God, it's coming. It's it's all around us, and we just um, we're safe. We're in America, mm-hmm. you know. It's just it it's not a it's not a good mindset. And I think that. Some of the things we'll talk about in the podcast, hopefully, will get us to a little bit better place of understanding. We're only in episode three, man. We got time. We'll get to this stuff. Yeah. But no, you're spot on. I think if people really believed that praying to God did something, that there really were dangers around them, that their prayer really was an act of resistance against the darkness, that we would pray in a totally different way. I think of the Lord's Prayer, you know, the deliver me from evil. Like Jesus taught us to pray that way. And somewhere along the line, we decided that meant deliver me from long traffic and from, you know, uh, financial and stuff like that's true. God can deliver us. But there is also intelligent evil that hates you, that desires your destruction, that desires your church to be ineffective, that desires your pastor to fail, that desires the destruction of your home. And it's not just going to say, well, you know, I'm just going to leave you alone because you're you're a decent fellow after all. And one that really resonates with me is when you mention uh, we're going through uh, Kingdom Man by Tony Evans, and one thing that we went through in just last week was talking about if a if a husband or a man really knew how much the prayer would help his family or protect his children and his wife, he would pray much more often and yeah. much harder than he does. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. And I, and I've lived through some of those. Spots where when you're struggling yourself with some of these questions and some of this stuff, you lose sight of, you know, praying and protecting yeah. yourself. When you're you can't praying, protect and, I, and I think this is an important thing to think about. Think about what is what is happening in the spiritual world. You are in the presence of your Maker. So when I sit at the table and I thank God for my food, I have brought the Lord and welcomed Him to my table. When I pray at my child's bedside at night, I've brought the Lord into my home. I, I am purposefully seeking his presence. And the presence of God is not something that my family can do without. It's not something that my ministry can do without. It isn't just that you should just be as good a person as you can and wait for heaven in the sweet by and by. We're working now, not later, but now. This is this is on. This is happening. And Part of the hope of this podcast is it will help you wake up just a little bit more to wipe the sleep from your eyes and see what's going on in the text. So we've kicked around this issue a while. Let's dig into the scripture. We're in the book of Isaiah. We're in chapter 14 in a text that is called the I wills of Satan. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read these. If you want to take a minute and pause your awesome, beautifully edited, and amazingly put together podcast, uh, and then get your Bible. This is going to be in Isaiah chapter 14. We're going to look at verses 12 through 15. And you're going to notice that just like we talked about earlier, this happens in a longer text, 
that is a uh, God is upset with a fellow called the King of Babylon. And Babylon is like ground zero for evil in the spiritual world. There are times where the Bible just uses the word Babylon to not refer to a physical city, but the whole kingdom of evil itself. If you look in the book of Revelation, you're going to find the Antichrist kingdom is called Babylon. And then there's another bad place, and it's called Mystery City Babylon. It isn't that they couldn't think of another name for it. It's that the name meant something. And what we're going to see here is that at this point, it's as though the prophet stops addressing just the king of Babylon and looks past to the spiritual power behind the throne and addresses the motives of Satan. Most people would be upset to find that you have to get all the way to Isaiah to find this, because if an American had written this book, on it, we'd have put it right there in Genesis. But the Bible is not the book that a West Virginia boy like me would write. It's an ancient book. And so you have to dig into the material to find these things. And then once you have found it, remember it and tell other people. That's how we find this stuff. And so this is going to describe Satan. And so let's dig into the text here. Martin, do you mind reading a little bit? Yeah, sure. Uh, Isaiah 14, starting at 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. So this is not describing the king of Babylon. This is describing a star. So this is heavenly being language. And do you see that they've reversed the image here? We're not talking about a holy being. We're talking about an unholy being because this star has fallen from the sky. We're talking about, was this a literal, like this is where it's like, if I think heaven is way up there in space somewhere, he's coming. Or is this, yeah. is, could, it could, I'm not saying it's not, but is this also a word of like being brought low? This, again, mm-hmm. the low spaces are the... That's right. Okay. That's right. All right. And it's not, they would have seen lots of falling stars. There were nights where they would have seen lots of meteors. We, we still see this. And we look at that and we think, wow, space trash, you know, falling to the earth. <laughs> uh, they looked at that and, and they understood this also is a great way of talking about evil, a heavenly thing that has fallen from its place in the sky. And that's how it describes the enemy of God, because that's what the word Satan means. It's actually not a name, it's a title. It means the foe or the accuser, the enemy. And it wasn't just used for one being. It was oftentimes used in a courtroom setting when someone would bring an accusation against somebody, that person was acting in the role of a Satan. And for us in our culture, we just mean one guy. It's a name. Right. Yeah. Go ahead a little bit. Oh, Daystar. So um, I, I, I love it to hear, and just, again, the imagery of how you are cut down to the ground. I mean, it's this tree, this, this, I just keep thinking of this, like, huge, gorgeous, strong tree that's now falling and crashing to the ground. Oh, yeah. And for and an episode called too. The Two Trees, right, right. you know, we're, <laughs> no, we're going to point out the tree imagery that's here. But it's also a heavenly tree. Yeah. But why did it fall? something chopped it down. It was physically removed or spiritually removed from its place of authority. And that falling example is that inversion of the high place. This is an evil thing. It has been cut down. Another power greater than it 
has overcome so Satan. Falling is a bad thing. Well, so, in real life, falling is a bad, <laughs> a thing. bad thing. Well, I mean, I was thinking about like in this. I don't know. I say it's any connection really, but this. Uh, you know, you watch the ascension of Jesus. Uh, I mean, and I just was thinking about this idea of going up. This this re- returning back to the place where he belonged. I, it just was. I don't know. My brain goes all over the place when I see this stuff, but that was just something that popped. In yeah. My well, head. that's because the prophets use it all over the place. Yep. You read the minor prophets, and there are all kinds of examples about trees on mountains falling down. Hmm. And I don't think the prophets were just really interested in mountain flora. And they're like, wow, I just love <laughs> when God knocks stuff over. It's a way of talking about lifted up powers, yeah. mm-hmm. great living things like a tree, but is an other type of being like a tree. And to knock down the great cedars of Lebanon before the breath of God is a way of describing God's victory mm. over these false gods. And you find it over and over and over again throughout the minor prophets. It's just that we don't read the minor prophets. No one is like, I was just digging Malachi, and I just love Obadiah is my favorite. <laughs> but the texts are great, it, but most people don't read them because we're not sure how to engage with that style of literature. And speaking on that, what really sticks out to me in 12 is is how they identify the, the individual that it's talking about with multiple different ways. You talk about the different levels that the Bible talks on, and so part of my background is calling some sporting events, like some basketball games and football games. The voice of the Buccaneers. Thanks for the shout-out. But when I do that, and I'm talking about a guy that's running up the middle or between the tackles in American football, I try to say it multiple different ways. The World Cup is going on, so you need to clarify. It's American football. American high school football. But I try to say it different ways, and that's to be entertaining on that. I don't just say, ran up the middle for two yards, ran up the middle for four yards, ran up the middle for this. That's not fun to listen to. So I change what I'm trying to say to be entertaining. When the Bible does this, it's it's identifying the same thing in a different way, right? because it's identifying it on a different level. right? It's saying it's a star, it's saying it's the a tree. The sooner that we shed our culture and the way we would talk about stuff here... The Bible wasn't written to be the, entertaining. No, the better you're going to be able to dig into this. And so... For instance, in our culture, if we were to give poems, they would rhyme, like Dr. Seuss or something like that. Ancient Hebrew poetry doesn't work that way. You repeat an idea differently. And what that does is it causes you to walk around an idea and see it from different a different perspective. And that new angle that you're looking at it from should give you new hmm. insight into the thing that you're looking at. Uh, I I remember once I was out in the woods and there was just this gorgeous waterfall and we were were hiking on these big rocks and I wanted to see it from the other side of the creek and it was totally worth it to cross to the other because the same waterfall had hugely different and unseen angles and perspectives that I didn't see from where I was standing before. So taking the time to move allowed me to get a fuller understanding of what I was looking at. And so what you have here is he describes him like a falling star. He describes him like a tree that has fallen. He describes him like an enemy king who's been thrown down to the ground. And that ought to raise bells in your head, anyone who's read the Genesis 3 story. Because when Satan is judged in Genesis 3, he is cast down to the ground. 
And just to build on what you mentioned there, you said that you took the time to cross the river to see it from a different perspective. I think we've said it multiple times already on this podcast about taking the time to meditate through what you're reading and not just trying to bang out six chapters today. Like, yeah. Let's let's really dive into it and read it to try to see it from those perspectives, and then we can learn and have a better time reading the Bible, I guess. Amen, preacher man. So that, I like that. That latter part of uh, verse 12, it says, you who once laid low the nations. Mm. Is this kind of a hyperlink for the reader in Isaiah to go back to your Genesis 11 or Genesis Three or is this connecting us to somewhere in the earlier? I think so. What he's dealing with here is why are the nations as crappy as they are? What's wrong with the world? And it isn't just that humans are bad. It's that there is an intelligent evil behind the throne that is shepherding hmm. the world towards evil. You who laid the nations low. This isn't a compliment. No. You who brought death. Yeah. And so then it, it carries on. Uh, look at verse 13. And here we're going to get into the I wills. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. So this continues in poetic form to walk around the idea. What is the enemy like? Well, what did he want? Well, the first thing it tells you he wants is to do what? Ascend. He, wants to he wants to ascend. Yeah. He doesn't want to descend. He wants, wants to ascend. He wants power. more power. If you want, if you had to sum up the the heart of Satan, it's right there. It's pride. Mm. It's a lust for power, control, and control. This is what he wants. He wants to ascend to heaven above control, the stars of God. And when you you know when you're reading through that. You are talking earlier about who this passage is talking about, you know, some yeah. person, a king, mm -hmm. right? But when is, an, when is a king ever said, I want to ascend to heaven? Like that? Yeah, well, the Tower of Babel of, thing comes to mind. It's, it's always a really bad point. thing, though, when someone says, you know what, I think I should be in charge up there. <laughs> and they start making decisions <laughs> like that. You just know this is not going to go well. And so this, this person, this being, has decided he is unhappy with what he is and the set of the world, and he desires to exert his will and his power over these people and over the world, even the heavens themselves. He says, it, I will ascend above the stars of God. And it's not talking there about those giant burning balls of gas, because there's always another star behind that star, mm -hmm. behind that star. And, and honestly, they didn't really understand that as like we do today. Instead, what he's saying is, of all of the spiritual beings, I will be the greatest. And it's it's funny how, like, today's science indicates to us that, like, you know, no matter what the star is, there's one that's 20 billion light years farther away or whatever that you want to mention there. So the, I will set my, or I want to I go above the stars of God. Is that the idea that he wants to be above the heavenly hosts? or above God, or be like God, or, or maybe all the above. Yeah, this is the concept that he doesn't desire to be part of something. He desires to be served by the others. Hmm. He's not part of the heavenly host. He sees himself as the rightful ruler of these things. So he's going to go above the stars of God. Again, this is not talking about the physical stars like Martin mentioned a minute ago. It's talking about the spiritual beings. And it says, I will set my throne 
on high. There's that imagery again of going higher, that this is a way of describing intense sacred space. I'll be more important. I'll be more holy. And he uses that imagery of a throne, of a king. And he already has a throne, apparently. I will set my throne higher up. God made this being with a purpose, with a job, and with a place in the created world. And God loved him. He was created to be this, and he won't do it. He will not allow himself to be part of the will of God. And doesn't that kind of read as a a warning to us? Oh, yeah. Like, if you're finding yourself doing this kind of stuff, maybe you need to read some other parts of the Bible, you know? And, (laughs) And when you think about Jesus' testimony and even just the fact of washing the feet, you know, his disciples' feet on the Last Supper, when he puts himself below everybody else instead of trying to ascend and trying to go above. So are you beyond. picking up that language in the Jesus story as mm-hmm. well? He he goes down and washes the feet. He's like a slave serving others. He then goes down to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's arrested and thrown down into a, a pit, and he waits until the morning when he is taken and brought up on a hill to be murdered, and then it says that he rises from the dead. This this downward progression is destroyed by the cross of Christ, by the death of Jesus. You're going to get me all off track here talking about Jesus when I'm <laughs> trying to talk about the bad guy. But Jesus is so much better. He just right. is. And the story of Jesus is this in reverse. Mm-hmm. And I would hope also our stories, as we become more and more Christ-like, would be less of this. And so, even when you're saying that, of course, I'm jumping straight to the application, John, with it. this. But when you're just talking about how Jesus basically sacrifices himself, makes himself low to be brought high again, mm-hmm. it's like when you're going through something, you, you have to go through the dark times to get to the the positive times and That's stuff. Right. And so there's so much application that you can take in your own life as far as just these highs and lows that go about it, and you can reflect it in this Isaiah passage and all throughout the Gospels about, you know, what you have to look forward to. Right. Now, the text is going to get more pointed and a little bit weirder from this point on. This part has been fairly straightforward. What do you do with this next piece? Jacob, go ahead and read that. I will sit on the Mount of Assembly. Yeah, I'm going to sit on the Mountain of Assembly (laughs) in the far reaches of the north. It makes me think of, and this is just because of the journey I've been down, is like divine counsel language. Yeah, this is the court of the Lord. If you can imagine, like in the book of Revelation, the scene of the elders round the throne and all these powerful beings there, and they're casting their crowns before the Lord, and these angelic powers as well have their place. And what he says is, when that whole thing gets together, I will be at the top. I have to say, if no one's ever heard of Divine Council, um, Tim Mackey, Bible Project, does a really cool video on YouTube, and, and Heiser talks about this stuff quite a bit. I, I had no clue. I, I never heard this stuff ever, so I pushed it away quite a bit. But man, it's 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 an interesting thing, interesting concept. So if you have, if you have never heard that stuff, yeah, we're going to talk about it. But if you want to do some research, but this is an introduction to that idea. Yeah. There, yeah. God has created beings like you and me with purpose. God doesn't need me to be a pastor. He allows me to be a pastor. He doesn't need me to be the one who delivers the sermon. Honestly, it would be a lot more convenient if an angel just showed up every Sunday. That would be true, yeah. And he said, hey, here's what is supposed to happen, John. You you make sure everything's going well until I get back next week. But he doesn't do that. He allows me to have a role in what is happening in the world. 
He doesn't just do that with the children of Adam. He also does that with the supernatural community as well. And so, we see glimpses of that in the Old Testament. And we, we call those beings the, the court of the Lord or the divine council. These are rulers and authorities that are loyal to God, and they have a purpose, just like we have a purpose. So this far reaches of the north, this mm. isn't um, up, but is, is this another kind of directional or pointed space? Yeah, that- no, this is weird, because when we think of north, we visualize a map. And they didn't have maps like we grew up with. Uh, I mean, they had maps, but if you go back and look at ancient maps, they're kind of freaky. You're like, what in the world is going on here? Yeah. This is not at all you know, satellite graphic imagery. But what they did have was the sky. And going back to star language, the north is incredibly important as regards to stars. Because as the stars move about the sky, there is one star that all the others orbit around. They move around the north star. And as the ancients tracked the stars in the sky, they saw them fade below the horizon. The stars in the north they saw didn't move. And so they thought of those as, those must be the bosses. The authority, yeah, the commander. And so what Satan is, is describing here is, I want everything to orbit me. Mm. I want to be the center of everything. And it calls it the mountain of the ascension, uh, or the mountain of the assembly, rather. And the idea is that the cosmic mountain, this this other world that is beyond our world that's being described here, it should all be about me. He's self-centered. And honestly, this sounds a lot like a lot of people I know. Everything is about me. It's not about me getting involved in something. It's about how can I manipulate the world to make my life better? Whereas the message that Jesus brings is the opposite. We are to be a servant. We are to love people and use the things at our disposal to make the world better and safer. Um, Satan is not that. His will is the opposite. But that description of the sides of the north, the far reaches of the north, just isn't something that most people would say. It's a cultural gap. But it can be overcome because... Some people know this stuff. And when I think of the far reaches of the north, I think of Santa, not Satan, right? Is that, <laughs> yeah, a little funny part Santa here, is uh, locked in an epic battle with the forces of darkness <laughs> in the far reaches of the north. Have you ever read, letters, but... like, Tolkien wrote these letters to his kids. They're called the Letters of Father Christmas. And, like, there's a polar bear who, like, fights goblins at the North Pole. And it's See? not as popular as, like, Lord yeah, of the Rings, of but it is pretty cool. Oh, my word. Uh, so that's your Tolkien moment for the day. <laughs> uh, let's hit verse 14. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. So he wants a jet that he can just fly over the clouds with, right? Yeah, that sounds right. Superman style. Yeah, thing. yeah. No, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about, again, that mentality of I want to be lifted up. I want to be high above all these other things. And so in my mind, I think back to Jesus. When Jesus is on the Mount of Olives at the very end of the Gospels, and he ascends. Mm-hmm. This isn't saying, you know, and he got on board the mothership and flew back to a galaxy far, far away. He was showing instead of telling. He was engaging in this image, this picture. He went up the Mount of Olives, and then he just kept going. Where did he go? He went into the other world. He went into this supernatural reality and is seated at the right hand of the Father. 
And so as long as we're thinking of this in physical terms, we're missing the point of what the authors are trying to say. It's just so crazy, again, back to the Genesis chapter 3, is, mm. is you know, you're cursed, uh, you know, uh, even uh, like above the cattle or what he says, and then he puts them on his belly, on the dust you'll eat. It's like, I'm going to just actually throw you down there. And it makes yeah. it reminds me of like Nebuchadnezzar, too, who's just full of pride, and he's he turning into like, like a beast, a beast. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. and is on the ground as well. Just this, it's, yeah, just really neat. Just like, it's just exciting stuff. So our, our next podcast, we're going to be talking about the Genesis 3 story and the fall of Satan that's described there. And, um, and so we'll save some of that thunder Sweet. for there. But yeah. we, are, we are on the edge of that. So I'd love it if our podcast listeners would just go think about that for a while. What does this mean and how does it remind you of the Genesis 3 story? we got one more verse that we want to hit here, and it's verse 15. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. And this, Jacob, is where you were going. He says, you wanted yeah. to be lifted up, but, and instead I've dug yeah. a grave for you. <laughs> and I slammed your face down in this grave. You are cast below. And there's that imagery again of the demonic world, the evil or the, the realm of the dark is described in terms of the underworld beneath the earth. And throughout the Bible, it carries the same concept, the pit where you cast the corpses, hell being beneath the earth. It's not saying if you dig a hole in the right spot, you might hit like the ventilation shaft or something. It's not a physical place. It's a spiritual place. And it's described in ways that people can understand here in terms of up and down. Hmm. It's a, it makes me go to, to to Psalm forty, but that's not has nothing to do with it. Just my mind is that for for just a minute. But the fact that um, Satan wants to go up and he's brought low it reminds me of some of the things that Jesus said about being last will be first, and um, you know, just I just think about the servant side of him and how it's reversed. He tells a story about you know sitting at the lowest place of the table and let the let the mm. host bring you. I, I know this is like totally not on the topic, but this is kind of where my, my brain's going. Here's here's Satan full of pride and arrogance, wanting to be number one, wanting to be the first, have the places, the best places, best seats. And it was the total opposite of what you see in Jesus and how he takes, you know, he is God in flesh, and yet he mm. takes a place in a position of a servant. And it's just this total opposite. The kingdom of God is not Babylon. Yep, it is un-Babylon. Right. And shows it a thousand different ways, the poetry of the Bible. And we're going to dig into it. We're going to get into a bunch of this stuff. Next week, we're going to talk about Genesis 3 and the fall of Satan, the serpent, as he's described there. Uh, We'd like to thank a couple people. Firstly, all of you who have started to follow our podcast, we're humbled that you're giving us the time. Uh, Send us an email. Jacob, you got an email for people to send an email to? Yeah, it's the it's number two, so it's two trees podcast at gmail.com. So if you got questions or topics or you know you notice that we're doing something stupid, we'd like to fix that. <laughs> uh, and so let us know. Otherwise, we've got a Facebook page that you can join us in our conversations there. Huge shout out to the Divine Council Worldview Facebook page for allowing us to uh, to, to be posted there. Mike Chu gave us a shout out. And so we're thankful for that. Love you guys. I love what God is doing and I'm excited to be part of, uh, this conversation. And so I hope that you guys have an awesome week, my friends. May God bless you.